Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Two Footed Tackle Podcast. We are back to our to we're back to our regularly scheduled programming. Um, we're yeah, we're back to our to what we should normally be speaking about, and what should we, what this month and a bit or month really um, was planned, and that was of course the World Cup. We had our first of two semi-finals. Uh, happened over this morning, and we'll speak about that, of course. Um, first up, everyone's well. Hope everyone enjoyed the game this morning. Hope everyone's enjoyed anything, or I hope everyone's enjoyed their lives since the last time we spoke. Um, for those who didn't watch the emergency podcast because they either missed it, um, or they, they either missed it or they didn't know what's going on about um, Australian football, don't really care if you're an overseas viewer in particular, then you, of course you would have missed these these four things behind me. Um, audio listeners, some got some got some prints um, stuck, um, set up behind me. Um, some pixels are done, a, a signature for Ronaldo, original R9. Um, and then a nice little partnership of the Drogba goal um, against Bayern Munich. Um in the Champions League final, and then of course underneath it is the tally text of the of the game, um, which is quite cool. Um, yeah, so it's got like the goal with like where the players were in the commentary and all that stuff, which is pretty cool. I like that quite a lot. Hence why it's in the background of my shot. Um, but yes, they're they're the four main things. Hopefully, I want to try feel out the wall. Maybe get some of this side wall, getting um, this side wall field maybe. Um, and also this this area as well, maybe and behind me and etc. But I've 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 stuck them to the wall now, and as you can tell, I've botched the job a little bit. So for audio listeners, you have no idea what I'm speaking about. But for video listeners, as I demonstrate with my pen here, um, it's slightly botched, slightly where is it? Slightly no, slightly botched here. Here is slightly botched, um, which is a bit of a shame. But it is what it is. You can't really see it. It's over my right shoulder, so. Um, hopefully, hopefully I, I can disguise it well, but regardless, we're back, we're here again, for, um, we are here again, back to, like I said, my, our regularly scheduled programming, um, uh, back to the World Cup, and we're not going to speak about the A-League, although, um, actually, although I will speak about them briefly, because they have, since the, since the release of my last podcast two days ago, they have announced, um, they have announced that they will be sticking by their decision um, to to hold the grand finals in Sydney and to basically ruin football in this country, ruin all the integrity has left. Um, they've stuck with that decision. They've doubled down on it. Now the chances of it getting uh, reversed are next to nothing, but it is what it is. Um, fans are boycotting games, leaving games early. The Melbourne Derby this weekend on Saturday night is going to be absolutely mental. Um, I will be going. I'll be going and I'll be witnessing the the mass exodus of, of fans that will be leaving the game, but will potentially also be leaving the league itself. So um, it is one of those things. It is one of those things where you can't really do anything about it apart from complain because that's all the power we've got. Um, we can't really do anything. We can protest. We can do a lot of things, but really they're not going to listen. So we can just voice our opinions like I'm doing right now. Um, like a lot of people will be doing on Twitter and Facebook very eloquently, very um, passionately as well, which I appreciate. I appreciate as if I as if I'm I matter at all to any of this. Um, it's good to see that there's been that the the level of personal attacks on Danny Townsend and other relative or other related authorities that made these decisions have been kept to a minimum. They're still there, but there's bad eggs in every bunch. Anyway, are we done with that? I don't want to speak about that anymore. I can't be bothered. Um, I don't know what that means for the future of covering the A League on this podcast. Of course, when we go back to our when we go to our um. 
to our what's it called when i go back to the weekly podcast um after world cup normally i do cover the a-league but i don't know my motivations on watching the league anymore to be honest um i don't know my motivations on i don't know my motivations on watching the league anymore as my chair is a bit how are you going there we go okay all right, let's go. Let's crack on. Five minutes in. Um, I don't know how long this podcast is going to be. This podcast is not going to be out at two o'clock because um, I've had some things to do this morning. So I'm filming this at one p.m. So, like I tweeted about, um, it should be up maybe hopefully before five p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time, which isn't the best, but it is what it is. Let's crack on. Croatia, Argentina. Let's crack into the meat. Let's crack into the thing to the meat of things. Um, Croatia Argentina for a place in the in the final of the World Cup. Now both sides obviously came into this with relatively similar, um, I wouldn't say relatively similar parts, but definitely a relatively similar um, outlook on the tournament um, so far for both sides. Obviously Croatia have got got through both of their games on penalties. That's right. I'm I'm saying that correctly, aren't I? I am right. That's that's correct. Yes, they've got through both of their games on penalties. Um, in the round of 16, they've only won one game in 90 minutes over this tournament, whereas Argentina had a, despite losing their opening game, had a pretty dominant um, had a pretty dominant um, group stage. 1-2, lost one. Um, their loss was a pretty shock loss to Saudi Arabia, so you can't really take a whole lot out of that. They um, they dispatched of Australia pretty comfortably. Um, as I bring that game up again, and it gives me nightmares, but they dispatched of Australia pretty comfortably. They did it um, in a relatively professional manner. And, of course, they the Netherlands game was a little bit more dangerous and a little bit more... Um, a little bit more how you're going and what they potentially would have liked. Went all the way to penalties, but they got through. So both sides definitely had merits. I'm feeling confident. Both sides definitely had um, both sides definitely had merits to um, to feeling confident. Um, they were, um, yeah, both sides definitely had merits to feeling confident. So as I try to figure out what I'm going to say next, um, in in wanting in needing in believing that they, that they could win this game, of course, Argentina have the Messi factor, have the fans factor as well, which has been a pretty underestimated part of this whole World Cup. The fact that Argentina fans. I mean, you could host a World Cup on the moon and Argentina fans would still make the loudest noises out of everyone. Um, so you have that. But then Croatia have this unwavering belief that no matter what they do, that they'll be able to to get the job done. Of course, we all thought they were dead and buried against Brazil. They came out of the ashes from that. We all thought they were dead and buried in multiple games across multiple tournaments, but they came out of they came out of um they came out of the ashes for that and they and they have managed to to final odds and get um and get the job done when many people thought they wouldn't. So this game was always going to be tense, was always going to be tight, especially early on. Both sides set up in the relatively similar formation to how they would, um, to how they would set up normally. Obviously, Croatia go to that four three three with that midfield intact. There was an injury clatter over uh, over um, Marcelo Brozovic, which came much more apparent throughout the game. I'm not sure if it happened in the game or if it was a um. Or if it happened prior to the game, but he definitely did have an injury going over him that he that did definitely stunt his performance um, ever so briefly, and of course he did get subbed off just after the uh, just after half time. So, um, so that obviously is a little bit of a concern. However, when you look at this, um, is a little bit of a concern. However, when you look at this other. When you look at this Croatian team, you can see that they definitely have the ability to kind of compensate for that. Of course, Bodrich and Kovacic are two fantastic players who have had pretty good tournaments. Um, um, and then, of course, up front, you have Pasalic, Pasalic, 
Jesus Christ. Um, who who's who's in like an auxiliary number ten who's been played on the right hand side for this tournament, um, and has kind of played on the right hand side for this tournament, and has kind of allowed allowed Modric and Brozovic to have a little bit more time and space on the ball because he kind of fills that gap in a sense. It's weird. It's weird the role that he plays because he isn't playing like a true winger, uh, like a true right sided forward. I should say, where he's breaking in between the lines and and like breaking between the lines and getting beyond the defense. He's kind of being playing I wouldn't say in the no man's land role, but um he definitely is being just kind of very astute with his positioning, of course. Vlasic as well plays on that side as well. So they do like to play a little bit of an asymmetrical formation which can come into which is pretty handy, especially um which is pretty handy, especially when you have a midfield that relies on Especially when you have a player like Modric who in that midfield relies on a little bit more workman-like players around him. Of course, that's why Brozovic is such an important player. Kovacic as well to an extent. Um, and Juranovic and Soza as well as fullbacks who help support as well. So, um, yeah, of course. Of course, that was that was the avenue for... for, for um, that was the avenue for... Um, for Croatia, as I keep you already, because I haven't really slept at all. Um, of course, it was a 6am game and... Um, I fell asleep at like four o'clock, so I'm running off two hours sleep. But we move, we move. Um, so yeah, that was how Croatia um set things up. Of course, Lover and Gavardiol, the certain back partnership for them this tournament, and Kramaric, Perisic, and like I said, Pasalic up front. Move to Argentina. They set up in a. It sets up here, but according to Sofa scores, a four four as a as a um four four two. I have a realistically, it does set up in like a four. It really does set up in almost like a four triple, like a four one. How how would you describe this? It's like a four one. It's like a four one two two one. I think that's how you would describe it. Um, I think that's how you would describe it. With, um, yeah, I I I I think I think that's how you would describe it. To be honest, because you have obviously the back four um, of Romero, Otamendi as the two centre halves, Tagliafico and Molina. Um, as your as your um, left and right side of fullbacks respectively, you had Parada sitting deep, being that pivot in midfield with Enzo Fernandez and Rodrigo de Paul, um, playing in that slightly more advanced double pivot, occupying between the lines. You had McAllister and and Messi playing just behind um, Julian Alvarez, and what that what this allowed is, it allowed it allowed for, um, it allowed for, for layers of of Argentina's build up play in a sense, so they so it allowed them to build up through Parades, it allowed them to build up through um De Paul or, or Fernandez, and allowed them to build up through McAllister or Messi, and and allowed them to really stagger their build up play, um, and and by stagger their build up play that all, that definitely means in terms of in possession, when you have the ball and actually physically building up through those stages of of play. But it also means by just occupying space. They occupy space in very dangerous areas because of this formation. Very narrow areas, but very dangerous areas. And what this allows is, we saw it for the first goal. Um, it allows for the the players in behind um, in behind Julian Alvarez to split and to create this kind of avenue to to goal for Alvarez and for these attacking players coming through the middle. That's where the first first goal comes from. Of course the Borges played right through the middle of this um of that of the Croatian defence, Croatian midfield. Um and of course Alvarez takes or has a shot which it was wasn't gonna go in, it was gonna get cleared off the line, but he did get cleaned up by Livakovic. Um 
So Digger cleaned up by Livakovic um, towards the or at the end of that. So that of course was a penalty. Now a lot of people are kind of complaining. Was it was it a pen? Was it not a pen? For me, I mean for me, it's a penalty. And I think the only reason it is is because technically this is the same scenario as if Alvarez had just taken it past the keeper and he'd been fouled. I know he shot. I know the shot was going to get cleared off the line. I didn't have enough pace to go over the line. I think it was Lover and he cleared it. But you can't you can't make any contact there. You can't make any contact there. I understand the talking point. I understand the rhetoric of, oh, what's Livakovic meant to do? Is he meant to jump out of the way? I get that, but... I get it, but... It, it, it's the same thing of... it's it, it goes back to that thing of, what's a player meant to do when he puts his hands up to defend his face, like a, like a natural reflex is to do... And it, and it hits the guy's hand. Like, what's he meant to do there? Um, it got, yeah, it's it's to me, it's that thing again where it's, I get it. Football, it just is not fair. Football, like football, is just not fair, and it's football's not fair. Like that's as much as I can say. Football's not fair. It's not fair that that was a penalty, in my opinion. But I think it, that was the right decision. Messi steps up. Livakovic has a good penalty um, saving record, especially this tournament. Messi doesn't have a good penalty scoring um, record this tournament. Um, of course, he missed the one against Poland, I think. Maybe missed, maybe missed two penalties this tournament. I don't know. But um, as you can hear my dog barking, I might need to pause it and tell her to shush, but um, hopefully she gets the hint. Um, yeah, obviously, Messi, great penalty. I think it had a post-shot expected goal of 0. 0.00 of 0.99, which is basically what that means is... Basically, what that means is at the time of the ball going over the line, what percentage chance... Did um does the does the ball have of going in? So, so if you hit the ball straight down the middle, it has like a very it has a low expected sh- expected shot on target. No expected goal. No, what is it? Expected shot on target. Um, it has a far lower expected shot on target than um than it were if it was in like the top top corner of the goal. Hence why it was a point nine nine. Um. A post-shot expected goal. That's just that post-shot expected goal, which is pretty insane. As you can definitely pick up my dog barking, which is quite frustrating. Hopefully she shushes. Shushes? Hopefully she shuts, she shuts up at some stage. But, um, of course, I can, that was the first goal. It came after a little bit of a period of dominance for Croatia. I wouldn't say dominance, but both sides were kind of just feeling each other out in that opening part of the game. I would say Croatia did have a little bit more of it um, in the maybe the first half an hour. But... But where you where you versus an Argentina side that is very dynamic as it is very structured, you need to be able to be brilliant for longer than just half an hour, and Croatia found that out the hard way. They were, they were, not, not to the races at all. They just weren't there. They just weren't there. Plain and simple, they weren't there. They were struggling to to kind of break Argentina down, and defensively they were very fallible. And I think that goes to show again with the second goal. I think it does come from a Croatian. Um, from a Croatian corner, the clearance is made, and then Julian Alvarez just runs through the whole defense and scores. Um, it mean it's a it's a slice of luck. It is a slice of luck, in my opinion. I think it's pretty hard to to argue against it being a pretty big slice of luck. But you make your own luck in these tournaments. You make your own luck, and um, Alvarez was the guy who. Um, who found his way through the defense, found his way past Livakovic and, and scored a pretty scrappy goal, but a goal's a goal nonetheless. And within the space of five minutes, Croatia, despite their dominance, despite their belief that they could do something from this game, 
find themselves find themselves to kneel down and really on the back foot and really really no way back for them maybe I think that may be a little bit harsh to say but they need to change a lot of things pretty quickly and without Livakovic in goal it could have been three relatively soon after I think it might have been Rodrigo de Paul who had the header um, off a corner which was saved brilliantly down low by Livakovic so without him it could have been three um, and that definitely would have been game over but uh, Croatia went into half time knowing that they're still within a fight. They're still within a fighting chance. They're, it's only 2-0. You get one back within the first half an hour and then it's, everything's to play for, right? So 2-0 is not the worst thing in the world. They come out, they make a couple of changes. Uh, I'm sorry, yep. They make. They come out, make a couple of changes. Of course, they bring on Nikola Vlasic for a pass, pass, pass Alic. There you go. Um, he pretty much straight swap, like I said, to auxiliary number 10s that like to play out wide. Or two tens that have been forced to play out wide because of this system. And they brought on Mislav Osic for Borna Sosa. Borna Sosa. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, they brought on Mislav Osic, Osic for that for him. Uh, which basically saw Ivan Perisic move to left back. Um, and saw Osic move into that slightly more advanced role. Um, this of course meant Kovacic playing on the left hand side of midfield. Did have a little bit more defensive responsibilities to occupy because of Perisic's inherent attacking nature. Of course, Orsic playing that left wing role. Um, they did they did try to counter and did try to really um, occupy that 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 um that left hand side quite a lot because of this change. But um, yeah, of course it is one of those things where you did you do need to risk it. Of course, five minutes later they brought on Petkovic. For Brozovic, um, they basically saw them go to two up front. Um, oh no, they didn't. They saw them move. I saw them move Kramaric out to the right hand side. Um, they saw them move Kramaric out to the right hand side and saw Pekovic move up front. Um, so yeah, you can't. Yeah, so it is pretty much they just kind of rotated positions around. Um, this of course meant Vlasic went into that into that midfield role. Kovacic and, and Modric kind of sat, sat slightly deeper to allow for the front three to work. Okay, and that is how the second half started. Croatia did Croatia did have some chances in that second half. They were able to kind of break Argentina down a little bit better. But the constant threat on the counter-attack uh, was Lionel Messi, and the constant threat in any real attacking spaces was Lionel Messi. And this is really the first game which I've watched of Messi that has really given me an appreciation for just how good he is and just how good he can be. Oh, can be. Fuck me. Like... I wouldn't say just how good he is, because that's a little bit disingenuous, because obviously I've seen Messi before play ridiculous games. But this game kind of blew me away. Like, he was he was so good. He was so good. And the reason why I speak about it is because, of course, his third goal is is Messi's goal. Goes down as a Julian Alvarez goal, but, I mean, Messi picks the ball up on the right-hand side. I, I saw this tweet. I can't remember who it was by, but this tweet was... Messi, Messi can't outpace um, Josko uh, Gvardiolt, right? He can't outplay, can't outplay Josko Gvardiolt. Can't outstrength Josko Gvardiolt. Gvardiolt. Can't outstrength him. Can't beat him physically. Can't beat him with athleticism. So what's Messi's solution to that? Is I'm just going to dribble past him eight times. It, it It's genuinely like baffling how he does it. Like He dribbles past him once, gains 10 metres... Then, then dribbles past him again, gains another 10 metres. Dribbles past him again, gains another 5 metres into the box. This is whilst also being on the touchline, being on the byline. 
being in a position where you cut where he couldn't really take a poor touch and try and recover from it because it would have gone out of play. And the fact that he still is able to find the space to get the ball across goal to find um, Julian Alvarez who tapped home to an empty net was just ridiculous. Just utterly absurd. You can't put it any other way. It's is is he genuinely genuinely just out of this world good. Absolutely out of this world good. And and what you see from this is what you see from this is just how big of an impact he can have. And I think there's nothing really to speak about the game anymore. The game kind of petered out. Argentina held on. Nothing really speaking about it there. Argentina go through. Argentina through to the final of the World Cup. Their first time in the final since 2014. Their first time. Um, their first time winning their first time um, their potential first time their, their their first chance to win the trophy since they won it back in 19 since they won it back in 1986 I think that's right I think that's right um, first time since 1986. Is that correct? Please be correct. It is correct. I'm so smart. First time since 1986. Um, where they could win it. Um, obviously, they fell in 2014 in heartbreaking circumstances. Hopefully, Messi doesn't repeat that. Now, I want to speak on that, man. Messi. Because this tournament was geared around Lionel Messi. It was. It was. It, it is. Don't even try and deny it, right? This tournament is kind of a is kind of a um, crescendo to his career, and it either ends because, in my opinion, if he wins this World Cup, he retires. In my opinion, because there is nothing left for him to do. Nothing left for him to do. I don't. He's not driven by money. He's not driven by trophies. He's driven by. The love for the game, but also legacy, and he has nothing to add to his legacy. Similar, similarly, if Ronaldo had won it, he would have retired as well. To me, it is written in some stars that it's Messi's tournament. Because the GOAT debate has been thrown around heavily, and it's, let's be honest, Messi versus Ronaldo is the most mundane football conversation you can have, Right? So oversaturated, it's just fucked, right? It's so mundane. But this, if Messi wins this World Cup, it's undisputed. Undisputed. Absolutely undisputed. You cannot put it any other way. Focus on my head, please. Don't focus on Zidane in the background. There we go. Oh, no. There we go. Okay. It's undisputed now, if he wins it. It is absolutely undisputed if he wins it. You cannot, you cannot look at the careers that both men have had, and say that one is then say that Messi isn't the goat. If he wins his tournament, if he wins his tournament, it will be the best football story in a long time. This generation, like the best player I've ever seen, a lot of people still say Maradona's better than him, but to me, Messi is just a freak. Like he's just a freak. He's a freak of nature, that boy, and. His ability to make audiences draw, like have their have audiences jaws drop 
at 35 years of age where we've seen him play football for the best part of two decades. Like, we know exactly what he's about. We know exactly what he's about. We've seen it for so long. We've seen it time after time after time after time, just how good he is and just how elegant and fluid and graceful he is on the ball. But every time every time he does something, we just sit back and think, what the fuck? What the fuck? I, that, that was my reaction to the third goal. My third goal wasn't... It was My reaction was simply, what the fuck? How? How can you do that? How, who, what gives you the right to do that? To embarrass one of the best up-and-coming centre-backs in the world. And to do it in just such graceful, elegant, peaceful way. He didn't... He did, he, I'll tell you what it was. It was actually more embarrassing for Gavardio because he didn't get, like, he didn't get dropped on his ass or he didn't get nutmegged or he didn't get, like, rainbow flicked or anything. He just got... He just got out-footballed. Like, if that's even a word. He just... Messi just took the ball past him eight times. A man who's half his height, half his weight, who's got half his speed, probably. Messi doesn't have the legs that he once did, so he needs to rely on this, like, out-of-this-world close control. I, I just cannot fathom, just cannot fathom how good he played that game, how good he played, he's played this tournament, and just how, and just how much of a impact he's had on so many people. I mean, you see the Argentinian fans, if the, the for Argentinian fans, I think a lot of people in the Western culture don't get this, don't understand it, especially England, um, especially England, they don't get it. In Australia, they definitely don't get it. Um, in other European countries as well. The role football plays in South America is... It, it's it's unparalleled. It's, you cannot compare it to anything on, on, on planet Earth. Football is their life. Football is their life. It is the reason they breathe. It's their oxygen. Like They care so much about the game. And the stadium is, is their mosque. It's their church. It's their pl- pl- place of worship, a football stadium. That 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 pitch is their place of worship, and their wor- and the people they worship too are the eleven men on the pitch. But there's one man that stands above all everyone else, and that is Messi. I mean, Maradona is somewhat of a religious figure in Argentina. If Messi can replicate what he's done. By replicate, I mean lifting that trophy. He would have to go down as probably one of the most impactful sports athletes. One of, I'm not saying the, because I know a lot of people have done a lot more impacting when it comes to like political statements, etc., etc. But we were talking cultural. We're talking cultural significance to a country. It's hard to go. It would be hard to go past him. Hard to go past him. Very hard to go past him. Like I said, if if because Maradona came about in a time where Maradona won two World Cups. I'm not mistaken; he won two World Cups. I'm not sure if he was there for seventy six. Would have been would have been seventy six. No, it was seventy eight. Um, I'm not sure if he was around for seventy eight. I just want to quickly look because he was definitely around for eighty six. Um, 78, 78, 78. Let me find it. No, he was not around for 78. Okay. 
So so he wasn't around for 78. He's won one World Cup in 86. And it's like he he he's a he's a god in that country, Maradona. Maradona's a god in that country. And like I like I'm not and I don't use that in a flippant phrase. He's a he's a religious figure in that country. Like he's worshipped. <coughs> and if Messi replicates what he's done, he's gonna be on that level. Because they don't they don't muck about with football, man. Like like if you if you I mean look just look at look at the amount of people that are at in Qatar to support their country. And they're not only supporting their country, that that's all they're doing. That's all they do is support their country. Like I I was listening to some podcasts and I was reading up on, on the Argentinian football culture, right? And just a snippet of it is the songs and the chants that they're singing at the at, in Qatar is about the country. It's not about a player. It's not about a player like I don't know how to describe this, but like um it's not like it's not about like like England's England fans talking about Harry Maguire's big head. It's not that. It's not that. It's Argentina fans singing singing songs, not chanting singing songs about how much they love their country and how much they're lucky to be Argentinian, how much they love these players and the coach and that culture doesn't you you don't lose with that culture. In the long run, you don't lose with that culture. And that is why I want Argentina to win. I want Messi to win because I want I want this culture to be celebrated because it's unlike anything else in the world. Is parts in other parts of South America, of course, it's very similar, if not better. I'm not denying that by any means. But I mean, when you look at Argentina, you look at Boca versus River, arguably the most hated derby slash rivalry in world sport. I don't think that's underestimating it to say that. And yet, even they, even they come together in support of the national team. Even they come together in support of the national team. And you see the players. How many times have we heard, especially with England before and other countries, that there is a divide? And I spoke about this a couple of podcasts ago. Um, I referenced it when I was referencing Spain. Do you think? Do you think Argentina? Uh, do you think Argentina players are kind of separated by what team they play for or what team they support, whether or not they're Boca versus River, Boca or River, when they're with the national team? No, they're not. They're Argentinian players. They're not. They're not. Messi isn't a PSG player. He's an Argentinian player. Um, Julian Alvarez isn't a Man City player. He's an Argentinian player. As my dog barks. Um, you, you don't you don't sep- like it it's separate. It is a separate game and it means so much more the international game. It means so much more because it's their country and I sh- I, I find it I find it maybe not maybe not um maybe not as deeply as what it is in Argentina, but I find it slowly, slowly sleep seeping into this country, seeping into Australia. Maybe with what the APL has done with the A-League, maybe this has completely destroyed it, but... I mean, Argentina isn't a... Argentina isn't a... America, in terms of the country, right? It has very poor parts. It has... 
it, a lot of people in that country struggle. Um, I'm not saying all America's rich, by the way. I just wanted to use that as a comparison where you have the a lot of middle class and upper class people in the more third first world countries. I'm not calling we're calling Argentina a third world country by any means, but a lot of people struggle in Argentina to get by. There's a lot of a lot of poverty, a lot of crime to to survive and to get by. And football is an escape for a lot of people for for that. And that is why they care so much. Because for four once for a month every four years it seems like everything's forgotten. Everything's forgotten and we're Argentinian. We're going to get behind our boys. It's one of the best cultures in the world. Period. Period. How the, the love that they have for that sport is unparalleled. And that is why I think they're going to go all the way. I think you look at the fans, you look at the story for Messi, it's written in the stars. Like, it is written in the stars. You can't... To me, it is, it's there. And... They're there, they're one game away, whether it's Morocco or France, who knows. But I think they're going to get the job done. That's my opinion. I've been wrong before, I think that's my opinion, I think they're going to get the job done. But um, if we... um, Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's done for predicting that, or or reflecting on that. Let's finish things up with predicting the Morocco-France game. I think I already predicted it when I spoke about the quarterfinals. I think I said 2-0 France, or 2-1 France, or 1-0 France, something like that. Those three, whatever I said in my last actual World Cup podcast, that's my prediction. Okay, we're done. Thank you very much for watching another episode of the Two Foot Tackle podcast. Slightly shorter, only one got to speak about, and I rambled about Messi for ages. Um, Thank you. Thank you very much for watching. Appreciate the love and support on the most recent emergency podcast. Hopefully we don't have to do another one of those for a long time. Um, But yeah, thank you very much for the support. Subscribe, do all that good stuff. Link in the bios of all the socials and whatever you know what I'm speaking about. Um, Apologies, this isn't out at 2 o'clock. This is going to be the latest one, I can tell you for a fact, because it's 1.32 as I finish recording this. So apologies for that. Um, Yeah, I do apologize for that. It just happens to, um, it is what it is. Um, I've had to do some things and... I, I, I wish I could have put this first, but I unfortunately for this one day only I couldn't. So this will probably be out at around 5 o'clock if, that, uh, if, if we're lucky. Apologies for that once again. But yes, thank you all very much for watching. See you guys tomorrow where we speak about France-Morocco and then we get to see the World Cup final, which is going to be insane. Thank you. See you guys tomorrow. Speak soon. Goodbye.